a listener production. Happy birthday to us. Uh, I won't subject you to too much singing. No one should be uh, should be forced to listen to that. This marks the start of season two for us on The Grill. We're really proud of it. Awesome to have you with us all jammed into the van. That's what I'm demanding for year number two. We want a van all wrapped, three people fighting over the steering wheel. <laughs> Uh, down the sides. <laughs> uh, there is more coming at you for this episode that could ever, ever be squeezed into a little Fiat 500. The voice of supercars is standing by to join us. Neil's on wheels, Crompton. That'll be a great chat. You'll love that. Lots of you have been asking for it. We have delivered. Um, we're into the second half of the calendar year. So how did we fare when it comes to new car sales for the month of July? VFAX figures are in. Canberra are planning a ban on internal combustion engines from 2035. One of my colleagues has a bee in his bonnet about that. Do you like what I did there? little play on words for our beekeeper mate. Uh, we, will tackle, <laughs> we will tackle that. Um, and this yarn that has almost everybody... I know, in the automotive game, talking. They are hot under the collar about BMW wanting to offer a subscription model for heated seats. Good luck with that. We'll talk about it and the fallout. Uh, Plus, our member guest is a bit of a guru when it comes to towing solutions, especially around heavy vehicles, the transport game, uh, agriculture and uh, machinery in that sector, for example. And we will also open the glove box a little bit later. It is not pretty in there after a year. Uh, But the mail in there includes a question on your fave car movie. So we'll deal with that. Can we also, right off the top, extend a very special second season welcome to our brand new partner in Exidy, who are all polished up on the wing, on the front splitter. Um, We've put a lovely new sticker on. Welcome to all of the team there. Thank you very much for coming on board. They join our family, our suite of great auto industry friends in Bendix and Denso, who've been with us from the very start on this journey. They're back for another lap too. Can't do this little audio road trip without some mates. Firstly, the VACC boss, Jeff Gwillem, who has rubber-stamped this for a second year. God, we love you. Uh, Word is you'll be beaming in for the next episode from Norway. Hello. Hello, Jeff. (laughs) What are you doing up there? What are you doing? Uh, It will be Norway, and you're not going to believe me, but the the guy that runs the Motor Trades Association in Norway is named Stig. It's no. Um, his name is Stig. That's a G up. It's not a G up. And uh, <laughs> I'll be there first week in September. I emailed him. I said, Stig, <laughs> I get in on the day. We've got a dinner that night, 11 o'clock at night. Do you want to do the grill? Now, I, I'm going to ask you guys this. This is unscripted, Greg. I'm going with it, okay? Go. Yes. Is it wrong for me to take a Stig T-shirt with me? No. No, and you should make him pick you up in a reasonably priced car, and, and you got to time him from the airport. But is Stig to the hotel. in Norway like Bob or, or what? What is it? Well, the name no, the the Stig in Top Gear came from um, uh, when when they first came up with the idea of just having one driver drive all the cars so they could figure out what one car was like compared to another. Jeremy Clarkson's thought was just just get one really good driver, but it has to be one yeah. so that it's a fair comparison. You know, you know what I mean? You can't put one yeah. driver in one car and one, a different driver in another. And they said, you know, does it matter who the driver is? He said, no, as long as they're good. Um, and they yeah. said, but he should, we shouldn't unveil who it is. <laughs> we should just just give them a generic name. And they said, like what? 
And he said, oh, I don't like Stig. And they said, what's Stig? <laughs> and apparently in the UK when you go to university, the new kids at the I've university are called a Stig. Yeah. So that's he just said, just call them the Stig. I've, and that's I've where it came in, from. I've, so, got, I've got Norwegian Stig. <laughs> but he's, he changed it by whatever their version of Depol is. Take the T-shirt. Take the roll. Rattle off a story about Stig Blomqvist, the World Rally Championship driver from back in the day oh, in the Audis. You, you'll go. fit in. You'll fit in perfectly, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> now you can hear the other voice here because he's into it already, which is tremendous. Um, formerly of Top Gear Australia and doing all sorts of amazing things following. The debut of Hairspray in Melbourne. Do not adjust your headsets, your EQ settings if you're in the car. Hello, Edna, a.k.a. our good mate Shane Jacobson. Welcome. Good to be here. I, uh, I'm out of the dress at the moment. Um, but I've got a blister from wearing high heels. There really? You go. How about that? It's a true story. How about that? I actually want to take my shoes and sock off to show you, Jeff, but I don't. No, I don't, I don't want you to, deserve no, better. Okay. If you can just take my word for it. Yeah, no, we've uh, yeah, we're, we're up and going. So, um, <clears throat> yes, at the moment I'm running around in, in heels. Well, well I, want, I want to talk about that later, actually. We're going to come okay. back to that. Okay. Now, just before we move on, because I know you love, you both love your your heavy vehicle stuff. Guess what? I drove a B-double in the past yes, week. You I, did. Have, oh, wow. I have never driven a truck in my entire life. And we get to do some cool things with different manufacturers from time to time. And um, I, I was at a facility in Queensland, so private road. I have a whole new level of respect world, for right? the men and women that do this on our road. I mean, right. I had no traffic to contend with, wasn't trying to back it into a difficult space in the middle of a CBD. Uh, I mean, your awareness has to go next level mm. because of the length and height of the of the whole thing. I mean, to be entrusted with whatever it was, 450 grand's worth of of machine. I was with was the, foolish um, of them. The, 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 it was foolish of them. It was. I said to the boss of, uh, of MAN Australia, I said, you are mad, as Jeremy Clarkson would say, but it was, mate, bucket list experience yeah. for me. And really I want cool. you to go now, and uh, and we'll have Alan talk about this a little bit later, I want you to go and try and drive something like that again in a gearbox that just doesn't want to let you into any gear <laughs> unless you match the revs perfectly. Because you get in an old truck and try that stuff, yeah. and as you know, you work your way through the box and you make one mistake and you just have to give up and pull yep. the thing to a halt and just start all over again. When you do your driving test, I think part of it should be you need to spend 10 minutes in a cab of a heavy vehicle so that you understand that when you pull in front of a truck, oh, it I, actually can't stop. How many times have we had this chat? I reckon it's yep. worth having again. Yep. yep. And I know we've done it before, but but you know what? There's The reason there are, are stop signs on every corner when you know you're supposed to stop is you have to keep reminding people. Yep. Yep. If whatever the space is in front of a truck, when you're driving out there, anyone listening to this now, and then if, if you are listening, please go and tell someone that's not listening this story. If there's a gap in front of a truck, they absolutely need all of that space to stop. In the wet, I, dr- I, drove, a, I, drove, a, I drove a truck once with no trailer on it, in the wet, and it wasn't, it wasn't a truck I'd been in before. And, I, and, you know, as anyone that's driven a truck, when you just add the brakes, it's a whole different planet. That, you know, that thing has to stop the truck. Yeah. And the thing started to skate. I couldn't stop it. No. And I had, I, had, I had enough room in front of me, but that thing slid and slid and slid and slid. If anyone had stolen that spot in front of me on that moment, I would have taken them out. And I'd be, you know, I'd be guilty of running into a car. But they took the braking space that I had. And so, yeah, if you see a gap in front of a truck, they need that. In the podcast and radio world, there are a few little rules about the kind of sound effect you can use when it comes to this. We love our friends in the force. So ours is a crook one. It is time for another edition of Cop This. Well, uh, I did say I was going to come back to it. Um, It's not really the kind of cop this we're expecting. Um, The cop this is, it turns out, 
Do you know how hard it is to dance in heels? <laughs> <laughs> Only because, Where are we going with this? <laughs> well, because the cop this is, you're all staring at me now, so for those that are only hearing this because that's how a podcast works, <laughs> I have no beard. Uh, and I, it's been a conversation I've had, you know, we talk about brakes and <clears throat> stopping and acceleration, all kinds of things. I've had to dance backwards in heels in a dress um, and stood on the edge of my dress and thought I'm going to trip backwards into an orchestra pit and die. So we've just had the chat about pulling in front of trucks. Uh, the next one I want to talk about is dancing in heels with a dress. Um, so, yeah, so cop this. It's true. It's really hard. So, gentlemen, um, if your partner or your girlfriend, your wife, your daughter, whoever it is, when they come home and they take those heels off and the look of pure joy and bliss comes across their face, I want you to know it's a real thing. I can't think of anything we endure as a man that that's the same. You don't. I mean, other than me trying to get out of a Formula Ford once. <laughs> they, tried to, they tried to get me out of one of those because getting to that was like trying to get a hippo into a letterbox. It was almost impossible. So, yeah, I, I'm just saying, cop this. Uh, when they say, oh, I can't wait to take these shoes off, we can't go, yeah, whatever. You've got to go, <laughs> and I can't wait for you to take them off. Why don't you take them off now, darling? That looks impossible. So there you go. It's uh, my community service announcement. <laughs> A quick break from the grill, if you will, to talk about Bendix brakes, specifically their General CT brake pads, the perfect braking solution for everyday driving. Bendix General CT brakes utilise stealth advanced technology, offering smoother and quieter braking for more comfortable day-to-day driving. Ceramic technology means that they also deliver improved stopping performance, low dust, low road aware and enhanced durability. Bendix's blue titanium stripe technology removes the need for bedding in. The noise-absorbing shims reduce vibration and noise during extreme braking, something I know a little bit about. For the perfect everyday braking solution, ask your mechanic to fit Bendix General CT brake pads, available from all good Bendix stockists. Bendix, put your foot down with confidence. Or as I now say, put your foot down with extreme confidence. Oh yeah, I've changed the way we end their ads. Speaking of brakes... Rusty, it's time for breaking news. And there is a bit to get through as well. Before we get to uh, the latest VFAX, Jeff, can we just launch into uh, a little something that caught our eye? VACC is about to launch its manifesto ahead of the Victorian election. Can you give us the summary? Give us the punchy bits. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Look, uh, the VACC as as an advocacy body, you know, as an election coming up. So our job is to put in front of government the things that industry need. Now, of course, in the manifesto, there's a whole heap of different things, but sometimes we pull some of those together to general th- as general themes. So, you know, some of the things that we'll be asking the next government, and we only talk about the next government, depending whoever gets elected in later this year. So, you know, wage subsidies for apprentices, we've had them every time we subsidise apprentices well, the numbers go up and they hold. So we're asking the Victorian government to actually look at subsidies for apprentices. Uh, funding uh, end-of-life vehicles, you know, we've got a whole industry out there for recycling of vehicles, but we want a national standard that's built really out of Victoria for a national group where we take cars apart carefully and then put the stuff in the right place where it can be used again. So really we're looking for an end-of-life vehicle trial in Victoria. Um, We want to raise the payroll tax thresholds and what that means is the level of income or the level of wages that a company pays before it pays um, payroll tax. Payroll so tax, yeah. we want that up around <clears throat> 1.2 million. Some of the other states have got it in Victoria. Once you hit 700,000 in payroll, 
you get your into payroll tax, which is a tax on employment. It's, it's a, a horrible tax thing. On ta- it is the weirdest tax. It is, yeah. and, for, and but some people may not know this. That it's mm-hmm. literally what you just said, isn't it? You, you get a company to a point yeah. that it's become successful enough yep. that you can employ a whole bunch of people. Yep. And at the point that your wages bill for the year is over seven hundred thousand, yep. you get charged more tax because you're paying people. More money now. An old boss that I had in the the newsroom when I was in um, in uh, working for Channel Ten used to always remind me about the need for balance. Right, so BMW are arguing that this is going to keep the initial cost of some of the features of a new vehicle down. That was their plan. I think one headline uh, from a news outlet I saw was, this is an apocalypse, the way that people have reacted to it. They want to revolutionise the way that we buy cars in relation to some aspects of the features by doing a, a kind of Netflix style subscription system. So how would you feel, Shane, about paying 29 bucks a month for heated front seats and a further $19 for a heated steering wheel? Um, I'm just going to say to BMW, uh, my wife has a Kia Carnival and it has both of those features in it. <laughs> Included. <laughs> and they just come with the car. I must admit I bumped a button and the steering wheel got hot. And I went, this is pretty cool. So, sure, they can do that. Uh, but uh, that'll just mean I'll be telling people if you want to save a few bucks, get a Kia Carnival. No, it's, I, I, I get what they're doing. I heard about this and I went, I get what they're doing and they're trying to, I don't know, you know, someone, sometimes when people try and stay ahead of the curve, they create some really weird sharp corner <laughs> and it's just, yeah, I know what they're trying to do going, you know, maybe people, because I imagine you, they they can able or disable it on the car. Correct, that, correct. They, yeah. can, they can get into the software. So let, let's say my credit card doesn't work this month or something or other. I've had a great month buying listener merchandise and uh, there's nothing left. Um, yes, they can basically switch it off. It's the weird part is that, the, and it's the bit that I know we're all getting to, which is you're sitting in a car where you know the car has the ability to do it, and they just want you to send them more money before they let you access it. They've already put it in the car. Just turn it on. You know what I mean? Like, the guy doesn't turn up and install it each month. Mm. <laughs> you know That's I mean? right. I'm here to put your seats back in. Yeah. <laughs> 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 they just see people going past with the lights, sitting on a milk crate. You go, God, he was, he was so close. He was That one month I missed it. That one month I missed it. <laughs> now, Jeff, we are about to get into the VFAX figures. Before we do, I have it on very good advice that a meeting of the five automotive industry peak bodies uh, happened in Canberra relatively recently, and that's pretty rare. What is this all about and where is it leading to? Well, it, it is a rare thing, and uh, it was actually around the, the – there's a dialogue around the proposed targets for EVs in, in Australia, you know, how many we're going to use. Um, some of the concerns here are, you know, where the federal government have got a position that nine out of ten new cars purchased in Australia by 2030 will be electric vehicles, and some of the states have got similar – sort of models, uh, Victoria, they've made a claim that by 2030, 50% of all new cars sold will be EVs. Now, you know, most of the auto, automotive industry uh, views are that, you know, there's no resistance here to electric cars. What there is a resistance to is how we get there. From a, a, a you, you're talking about a an infrastructure standpoint. Is that what you're, you're referring to? Well, no, it's more about the... Uh, sort of the estimates that are being pushed out by government. So our own preliminary research, uh, and FCAI, they've, they've done some great research in this space as well. Um, if you look at the number of vehicles, so let's say hypothetical, well, it's not a hypothetical. So the biggest selling vehicle in Australia is a 4x4x4 four by four by four ute, okay? Around the world, 
there's two people that are making an electric 4x4 ute, and they probably make 10 a week. So you've got the Ford Lightning coming through, you've got the Rivian coming through. But one of the things that the people in government aren't doing, they're not looking at the global manufacturing environment about how and where. So who's making right-hand drive cars? Who's making left-hand drive cars? Who's making utes? Who's making a car fleet like the car fleet that Australians buy? And actually, if you look at the projections around the number of people that will be in electric vehicles, it's not going to happen because they're not making the vehicles that we drive in Australia in the volumes that we need. We'll cover this story and we'll keep on that um, for you. And it's an interesting one because, in you know, on the one hand, you know, we have this uh, this depth of passion for the history, the tradition of of the motor vehicle. And at the same time, I mean, Jeff and I, uh, and Shane in particular, that we're, we're parents, uh, younger kids uh, have this this want, this expectation of of uh, being in an EV at uh, at some point. So it's important to um, to understand, I guess, both sides of of that uh, of that story. That, that, the point you make there, Rusty, is a, is a good one and a, and a big one. The kids who are going to be red hot about only driving an EV aren't on the roads yet. Mm. The, my, our kids coming through primary school, they talk about the environment, and they should. They, they're not on the road yet. They're not, they're not at the point they're buying cars. And everything you just said, I'm sitting here listening to you talk, going, God, I've just thought about that. <laughs> In five or ten years, like based on, you know, it's not like these kids aren't going to go on to do similar jobs and become tradespeople. Um, and if they're still going to want the similar cars, it's not like our landscape's going to change and, and our willingness and want to go off-road and, and as well as have a vehicle we can work That's in. Right. All of that, when all of that comes to an intersection yep. and they all meet at the same spot and go, hi, I'm now 18, I'm a tradesperson, I still like to go off-road, that's not going to change in the next five to ten. It's all going to come to this intersection and as you're saying, if they're making ten a week, man, there's going to be a shortage Anyway, this, watch this, this is a big topic, and um, we will continue to cover it in coming episodes of the show. Can we move into VFAX, Jeff, with new vehicle sales for the month of July on the national scene? Uh, we almost got to eighty-five thousand, I think, wasn't it for the for the more eighty-four and a half thousand, shall we say, for the month of July? We did indeed, Greg, and that's a slight uh, increase. It's an increase of three hundred vehicles, or zero point four percent, over July last year, which is a very small number. But it's optimistic. We've got to remember we've had sliding sales for a long time. So any growth is, we've got to look at it very positively. The July sales uh, results, uh, they break a trend in declining sales. And again, that it's an interesting thing about the economy, and I'll come to that in just a moment. Um, but it tells us something that's happening in the economy. So that's positive, Jeff, isn't it? Do, yeah. we, do we think that, that, that there's kind of a parallel here between the slowdown in stuff like house sales and money being spent on cars and, and that kind of stuff? Here's, here's the interesting thing in this economy. Normally, and there's been a, the index in the past that when house sales go up, car sales go up. So what it tells you is you've got a buoyant economy, there's lots of cash in the economy. What we've got here, we've got house price sales slowing, but car sales lifting, Okay. Now, that's really odd because if you match car sales against house sales at the moment, you go, oh, my God, it's going to be a disaster. Mm. And yet we're holding the numbers quite well at this point in this calendar year. So that, so that tells us a lot around, yeah, okay, some of these cars were actually ordered six or eight months ago when the, when the economy was still very buoyant. But I'm wondering if what we're going to be seeing is people that can't buy a home that say, do you know what? I'm going to buy the car I want. Yeah. And at a state level, only two states recorded increased sales in July. New South Wales up 10.9 and South Australia up 13.3. The other states really dropping back a little bit, but hopefully we'll catch that up through the year. 
Now, plug-in hybrids, we, we nearly achieved 600 as well there, didn't we? We did. Look, plug-in hybrids, we've got to remember, they're more expensive than uh, other hybrids, of course, because they've got bigger batteries. But I think the trend will move more towards plug-in hybrids because I want to be able to go home or charge the battery at work. But they've generally got uh, bigger batteries than what we call conventional hybrids. Year-to-date, 3,519 plug-in hybrids have been sold for the year. Now, that's that's still a small number, but it's up nearly 100% on the same time last year. So again, when you're looking at trends, it's a really important thing to look at. Hybrids should be double what they were last year. That should be 100% growth in hybrid sales, and it's only 14.4, which is it? that's disappointing, and it's telling us something about what's happening in the market, whether people are going to hold out for a fully electric vehicle, because they're, they're more, I think people know more about hybrids. They're still great vehicles, but that worries me that that number's slowed. Um, petrol vehicles, 44,039. Uh, that was down by 4.2%, but that's probably being absorbed uh, by uh, electrics and hybrids anyway, and 28,785 uh, diesel vehicles sold in July this year, down 0.05%, which is interesting that you've got a bigger drop in uh, petrol sales than diesel for July. Toby Price, who is in our grill library, if you go back and look for it, posted some stuff when he went off to do the Fink Desert Race and he was filling up his truck yeah, yeah. in the middle of yeah. Central Australia. It was very large when you watch the uh, the uh, the fill and how much it ultimately ended up costing him. Shane, can you please, in your finest voiceover, uh, do best performers for July 2022? Come on. Ladies and gentlemen, now it's time for best sales performers in July 2022. Across all brands for the month, Toyota led the market with a total of 19,565 vehicles. So does Toyota still selling 20% of vehicles in the Australian car market? I mean, what a brand. You just can't, nobody can knock them off. Um, and uh, Mazda was the next with 7,879, uh, Hyundai 6,792, Kia 6,711, and Mitsubishi 5,611. You know, once you come off those big numbers for the big manufacturers, it really uh, drifts its way down very quickly. The Toyota Hilux was still the highest selling model with 6,441 sales reported followed by the Ranger, 2,937, Toyota RAV4, 2,437, uh, the Mazda 6.5 was next, 2,346, and the uh, Hyundai. Go on. <laughs> Tucson. Come on, it's the Tucson. <laughs> Every time I see that Tucson. <laughs> 2,186. But, Greg, look at those numbers and who's going to produce those vehicles in electric within eight years to fill that demand in Australia. That is my point. Now, we recorded a recent ep of The Grill live with our fantastic partners at Denso at their Aussie headquarters in Melbourne. They do world-class, industry-leading testing at that incredible facility. And that has global reach because they're in this constant quest to make better parts for your vehicle, no matter what conditions they're subjected to. So... If you're looking for reliability, switch to Denso. You'll understand why their products outperform anything else in the industry. They're built to last the distance and keep you on the road. At your next service, be sure to ask for Denso. And you can find your part at denso.com.au. 
Earlier this year, when we broadcast a very special episode of The Grill live from the Australian Formula One Grand Prix, um, which was massive, and incidentally, we are planning, we're in the planning phase of trying to do that again in 2023, so it should be huge. We had all sorts of industry constituents there, talked a bit of racing and more. Our MC that day was none other than Neil Crompton, and that's prompted many of you who listen to the podcast to ask us if we could get the great man on, and I'm pleased to say we have. I've had the pleasure of working with him in different capacities for over 20 years now. He's a Supercars Hall of Famer, been on the Bathurst podium as a driver, driven all sorts of very cool racing cars from BMWs with the legendary Peter Brock, Commodores, Falcons with Craig Lowndes, um, the unmistakable Godzilla Nissan GTR, and a whole lot more. That's in the Australian Touring Car Championship, what we now know as V8 Supercar. He is a total, total pro when it comes to broadcasting, and he's been recognised globally for that. Not just what he does here with supercars, but with IndyCar and and much, much more. And his company is actually making some award-winning television. He's embedded in the Australian automotive industry and has worked with all sorts of great brands. I don't know when he draws breath. He's good enough to be on the line to talk to us in a busy back end of the year, which builds up to the great race at Mount Panorama in October. Neil Crompton, my friend, g'day. Thanks, Rusty. How are you? It's great to uh, to catch up with you. Um, our listeners know you, of course, from your, your world-class broadcasting of four-wheel motorsport, the stuff you've raced successfully over time. But the early influences for you were actually two wheels. You raced dirt bikes. Who were the Neil Crompton heroes? Was it the likes of Roger DeCosta and so on? Oh, absolutely. Um, you're making me race back in time to stop and think about that. Yeah, the... The early, well, actually, the earliest memories were really of desperately wanting to be a car racing driver and getting up at stupid o'clock to watch the then the Bathurst 500, adjusting the colour bars, or in fact, I don't think don't think it was colour bars. It was uh, it was a black and white test pattern in the really early days, and then sort of sitting there glued all day to whatever was going to happen at Mount Panorama and all of the various heroes that we frequently talk about. But the manifest of the way that I could kind of play the game was as a dirt bike rider. And so then, the yes, very much the hero, Joel Robert, Roger DeCosta, Adolf Wheel, Andy Roberton. There's a whole heap of sort of legendary uh, pioneers of motocross racing. I can remember they came to Calder at Melbourne once upon a time and, you know, out there it's either Sub-Zero or Blast Furnace and it was a Blast Furnace day and sat out there all day <laughs> and watched these guys do their thing and just marvelling at the extraordinary skill and you know I think you know many of your listeners and I know you know this one Rusty as well you know those early days in the 70s when for example the On Any Sunday movie came out and the kid arrived in the opening scene with his little BMX bike crossed up and just celebrating the passion and the skill of motorcycle racing was hugely influential in the early days. Mate you have this great appreciation for the fans and the experience they get when they come to an event does some of that stem from early business success that you had around, this is my favourite too, BMX and BMX sticker sales? Um, you had an adventure shop uh, basically in Ballarat where you grew up. Is that, where it all, is that where it all comes from, that appreciation for fans? That's correct. So I recall the feeling of what it was like to arrive through the gate and be a, a fan, to be a customer of the sport and all of what that meant. And it's, it's the sight and the sound and the smell. So that was a big part of it as well, particularly with uh, dirt bikes 
And in the early days, there was a lot of methanol and castrol R and all that sort of stuff. So, so you had to kind of, it maybe probably explains a whole range of things at the moment, but you had to infuse all that. But yeah, I think that's a really important part of it. I think you need to understand um, exactly where you are and what you're doing and, and what you're about and what matters and what doesn't. So I still harp on about many of those things today, just the driver interaction and simple things. Um stuff like being able to get in and out of a racetrack, being able to park, being able to get to a clean toilet, um, being able to have a pie and a Coca-Cola without spending $20, you know, with being able to see what's going on, being able to hear what's going on, just fundamentals. And it's still a battle to this day. I'll probably be battling that one out until I'm a hundred years old. And Neil, it's Jeff here. And uh, I used to go to motorcycle races uh, in the UK down South in Hampshire there. And, uh, you know, you talk about the smell and the atmosphere. The cherries, uh, wagons were always there selling beautiful hot dogs and all sorts of stuff. But, you know, when, when you, you know, it's all that music reminding people of their past and some of those experiences, but that smell of the fuel and the motorcycles when they all took off on the gate, you, whenever you go past that, you just reel back to when you were 15 and 16 and 17. It's an amazing sensation. That, that As you said the word, the, the smell of the fuel, I actually you could sort of feel it as you were saying that. I think the visceral experience is really important in motor racing, Jeff. I think that the, it's so important uh, for what we do at the theatrical end of automotive, which is really what it is, theatrical end of automotive and transportation entertainment, um, it's just such an important thing that it's got some passion and a feeling and uh, dare I invoke Dennis Denuto, a vibe. You know, you've really got to, <laughs> you've really got to, um, you have you have to be able to feel what's going on and um, it, it needs to be slightly surreal. You know, it needs to be just a little bit uh, abnormal. We don't need to make it what everybody grinds through midweek each week of their working lives. When you need to, well, not when you want to go to a motorsporting event, you want to be transported. You want to have an experience that's that's big and special and different. And, and I think the concert nature of it, which is for me very much the sound uh, as well as the smell and the sight of the whole thing is really, really vital. Jeff, Shane and I were all chatting today before we came on for this interview, how did the commentary actually start for you? Did someone sort of say, hey, you're a good talker, here's a microphone, off you go? What, what happened there? <laughs> no, it was an accident that continues. Um, uh, look, it's a long story. Um, I was, as you've just discussed, dirt bike riding, and I know this will shock you guys and everybody listening. You know, I hurt myself at one stage, so I was on crutches. I had a 390 Husqvarna. I was practicing for the Australian motocross titles and broke my right ankle and was on crutches. And my dad had a friendship with a fellow who at the time was the president of what was then known as the Auto Cycle Union of Victoria. These days it's Motorcycling Australia. His name was Bill Clough and sadly he's passed away not that long ago. And I would love to have been able to go back and find him. And he was the chief engineer or chief electrical engineer of the Victoria Hotel, I think it was called, maybe in the Russell Street, Collins Street, somewhere there in Melbourne. It's kind of a well-known old um, um, old pub. Anyway, so he was deeply embedded in motorcycle racing, dirt bike racing in Victoria. And, um, uh, you know, the short version of the long conversation here is that um, we, we would see him from time to time and sit around and they'd drink tea and coffee and talk about how cool motorcycle racing was. And somewhere along the line, and I don't remember who it was, him, me, 
which is probably unlikely because I was pretty young at the time, or, or Dad was saying, you know, we went to an event, <clears throat> excuse me, and the and you know whoever was doing the commentary had no idea what they were talking about because it was sort of at that point of the changeover where the Japanese bikes were really taking hold. So Suzuki, Honda, Yamaha were overcoming Husqvarna, Osa, Bultaco, Mako, all of those old dirt bike brands and sort of the Japanese were arriving and the Europeans were being pushed off the road and even the English bikes. So when when you went to an event and you're standing under a speaker and some tosses talking about a BSA Bantam, um, that sound you could hear was all of us falling in a coma. Uh, so that conversation sort of came up and he went, well, if you're so clever, why don't you, you help us? Why don't you do it? So I was injured and then you know, I, I got drafted in to, to be a guest commentator as a teenager alongside whoever it was at the time. And that's actually how it started, Rusty. And then it's it's genuinely a one thing leads to another story and it's been going to this very day. So it's a bit weird. Crombo, you are the consummate professional in the way you prepare and you go about your broadcasting. And it's probably hard to narrow down one, but is there a ratio called that is etched in your mind, if you will, as perfect in terms of the coverage and the spectacle, um, sort of the one you're most proud of, uh, 2014 Bathurst perhaps, is that a guess? I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about 2014 Bathurst. I, I get the question a little bit from time to time and it's hard because there's all sorts of events. You know yourself because you're doing the exact same things in parallel and have done for a long time. Um, some, sometimes it's not necessarily the big headline marquee events that make you feel good as you walk away from your your job. But um, I do work hard at it. Um, I'm working hard at it in the office here next door at the moment. And, you know, the events take a long time to, to prep. And what I find is that if I wash it through my head by typing it all out in the standard procedure that I've got, it's embedded so that I can draw on it quickly. And some of it I can use to refer to, and some of it just falls out of my silly gray head. Um, but I, I, I think the the best blend of that showbiz and the preparedness and the theatre and the unscripted nature of it, you know, these days everybody likes to talk about reality TV was 2014 Bathurst. It was seven hours interrupted by a red flag, you know, for everybody to have an orange break and patch the racetrack up. And um, it was crazy. You know, people got on the podium having crashed cars. The the guys that won it started last. Um Wind Cup and um, and Mostert were battling in the dying kilometres of that race. One was out of fuel, you know, it was just – and we were all um, just off off the scale trying to describe it. So that that was pretty cool. I thought that was a real celebration of the heart and soul of what motorsport competition's all about and the theatrical nature of it. You've been super good with your time here, Crompo. We'll do a couple to finish if we can. Uh, you, you do some fabulous work in a production company sense as well, some award-winning content that you've made with the likes of Roger Penske over time. More recently, a fabulous new doco series for supercars on the all-conquering Triple Eight team. What can fans expect there? Well, I think it's going to be quite revealing, Greg. We've had uh, a big project on our hands for the last 18 months with Inside Line Series 3 around Triple Eight Race Engineering. So we've had cameras tracking them throughout 2021. 
uh, at the racetrack, back at base and at home and in different parts of the world. And in fact, you, you also helped us with some of the work in New Zealand, which was great. But we shot in America, we shot in the UK, we shot in New Zealand and clearly what we did all around the country here. And then from the back end of last year and through the first half of this year, it's been in post-production in here and we've had uh, at, at times an enormous number of people working on it Um basically 24-7. I feel like I've lived in here for the last 18 months. And uh, <laughs> so it's, a, it's a, I think, a you know, quite revealing look at who these people are. You know, it's very much a, a love them or hate them race team, as you know. They're, they're incredibly successful. Shane Van Gisbergen and Jamie Wincup, Roland Dane, who's a powerful character and all of those in the background. So I think it, it gives everybody, it will give everybody an opportunity to know more about them, more about their background, what makes them tick. There's laughter, there's tears, and there's there's everything in between. So uh, we, as I look uh, to the right of this area where I'm speaking to you at the moment, another good friend of yours in the name of uh, Michael Heaton, who's our head of production. Heaton. He's just putting the finishing touches on uh, on the exports, uh, and it's an enormous project. We we had to buy. Uh, a new gigantic server just to be able to carry the terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of data on the whole thing. So it's um, about to leave here and head off to the broadcasters. It'll be aired on Fox Sports and on the Seven Network. And I don't have transmission dates at the moment, but obviously it'll be in the uh, third or fourth quarter of the year. It's seven one-hour episodes. And when I started it, my hair was black and now it's grey. So it tells you something about it. <laughs> You make sure you work Hedo hard. Don't give him any any overtime. Hey, you, you had my friend uh, a, a decent scare with with prostate cancer, a diagnosis there in recent years. The message to all of our VACC members is: don't put it off. If you're over forty, go and get tested and checked. Uh, going about getting your your license renewal actually kind of played a part in in discovering it. Are you are you all clear now? Are you all good? I've had my third test. I'm actually catching up with one of the doctors this evening, who's a good friend. Um, and uh, I've had my third test and it's been an all clear so far. Um, it's a little bit like getting a permission slip. You kind of go in to those tests and you, you know, I'm very bullish and very confident about what's going on, but there's a reservation in the back of your mind that, oh, okay, not 100% sure how the news will go here, but you, you, it's like getting a pass to your favourite race meeting, Rusty. You get another pass for another six months and off you go. So um, no, I'm all, I'm all good at this point. It was just on a year ago. It's 13 months ago. It jumped out of nowhere. Um, you know, I was like everybody that I'm talking to here is you, you, yourself and Jeff and colleagues and Shane and everybody else in the university. And we bowl along in our lives at turbo speed. Everything in your peripheries are blur. You don't stop and think too much about all of that stuff. And then you get hit by, um, you know, by, by something that you're not expecting. And that was a pretty big hit. So um, I, I would uh, echo exactly what you just said. You know, you need to go and get tested and try and, and get in front of that um, or any other problem for that matter. I think you, you reach a point where, particularly for blokes, you need to make sure that you're, um, you, you, you're putting the same level of maintenance into yourself that you do with our precious motor cars and our motorcycles. So, uh, you know, I, I'm guilty of it um, for sure. And, and it was a giant wake-up call and had they not found uh, what what was going on with prostate cancer, um, they would have had DNF against my name pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, one of those things that um, unfortunately comes along from time to time, but it's a reality in the community out there at the moment. It's, it's highly prevalent and you won't know that you've got it. You know, I've um, 
I think one of the things that really kind of set me back on my, my backside here was that I had no idea and, and it was only because I stumbled on it really. It wasn't because there were any telltale signs. Neil, I think there's been some uh, progress made here and, and thanks uh, tremendously for people like yourself for being open and talking about these things. As we know, the automotive industry is predominantly uh, blokes on the end of spanners and, and uh, spray guns. And, uh, you know, we're, we're happy to talk about a whole range of things, but when it comes to things like prostate and getting checked, uh, we sort of back off a bit. I think there's been huge shift and uh, there's, a, there's a job here for the VACC as well to help make sure that across the industry we're communicating the messages that you have as well, Neil, around get checked. It's not embarrassing. We want people to live longer, go and see a doctor. Yeah, I mean, it's a really simple choice, I think, Jeff. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's an awkward topic. Um, it's an awkward test. Uh, but the reality is that, and, you know, my wife reminds me, Sarah reminds me all the time whenever I lament any of that or any of the side effects of this, it's a pretty stark choice. You know, it's either wake up and face yeah. the reality or, frankly speaking, die. So you've got to yeah. really kind of stop yeah. and think about what that actually means. And, um, you know, for people that live high energy lives, which is a vast majority of the community in the Western world these days, we seem to be fast forwarding through our lives. Um, I think it's just very important at some stage to breathe out and go and sort that one out. There is a fantastic book out uh, on Neil written uh, with our colleague, the supercars historian and statistician Aaron Noonan. It is called The Best Seat in the House. Make sure you get it. There's all kinds of stories from Neil's career as he's crisscrossed the globe as a as a racer, uh, a broadcaster and much more, including a funny yarn on driver training day Medna at the Australian Grand Prix in the celebrity races there. Um, mate, thank you very much for, for talking to us today and keep powering. Thank you, guys. Always great to catch up with you, Jeff, and with you, Shane, and with you, Rusty. And uh, Rusty, I just want to talk to you about that money you owe me from uh, 1997. <laughs> if you can give me a call at some you're stage. Break, you're breaking up. I can't hear you. <laughs> Looking for reliable automotive technical information? I have the solution. VACC Motortech is the cutting-edge technical offering combining the best of VACC's large suite of technical products, including the Technical Advisory Service, Times Guide and Tech Talk, with the might of Haynes Global Reach. This best practice comprehensive solution is available nationwide, but VACC members get heavily subsidised rates. Just another good reason to join. Go to motortech.com.au to learn more. VACC, you're in good hands. Never did history at high school. I kind of wish I did because I've grown to love it as I age, especially around the stuff that Jeff, Shane and I really enjoy, cars and the auto industry. Our member guest today is from a company that has been going for over 75 years, evolving and creating clever engineering solution uh, solutions rather for, for towing for all kinds of heavy vehicle applications, agriculture and more. Alan Bartlett is from Bartlett Transport Improvements, Bartlett Integrated Towing Solutions in, in Hallam near Dandenong there, southeast of the Melbourne CBD. He is in the studio with us for a chat. Welcome. Thank you for coming in today. Good to be here. Tell us a bit about this. I mean, Shane is, just so you know, our kind of part-time trucky on the show in addition to everything else that he does and loves. Have my um, heavy combination license. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Let me show you. change yeah. my voice when I say it too. <laughs> give, give us, Alan, a, a kind of overview of, of what you guys do and the, and the sector that you're in here. Right. So we, 
we service the heavy vehicle sector. We start off at about four and a half tonne uh, gross vehicle mass and then work our way up right into uh, road train if, if necessary, but usually just to try to keep away from them a bit. But um, the um, the sector covers off uh, you know, trucks, trailers, uh, coaches, and then you've got your uh, equipment manufacturers, which is where we fit in. Uh, we also uh, do the fitting um, of our equipment. And then, you, of course, you've got your service uh, people in that industry, your spare parts, and then your engineering fraternity, which is really important in our industry because uh, not every truck just goes from the uh, the dealer straight onto the road. They often need modification. Alan, you can you can tell um, just how immersed in this you are from your answers. Understanding vehicle dynamics is obviously key to what you do. And as manufacturers constantly develop, uh, you know, kind of new innovations and things in the automotive space, the investment in time, in time and sort of engineering for your team, I would imagine, is fairly significant. Yeah, it is. Now, the the, the intuition part is the training as a as a as a young person going through, but then you realise that uh, you're competing against international players and you've got to have, um, you know, a, a CMM machine to measure that part. You've got to have, uh, you know, a 3D printer, um, CAD. Uh, all of that stuff uh, came, I guess, when I came into the business, I started to see that we needed that and I had done a little bit of CAD uh, going through school and so forth. But um, it is, it's 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 becoming harder actually to to be a manufacturer in Australia and we have to shape shift. We're continually doing it. So uh, very important. Yeah. Alan, we're, we're, we're nearly out of time here. Before we let you go, surely you have had some interesting challenges thrown at you guys in an engineering sense for solution over the years. What kind of maybe funny vehicles have you worked on? Maybe there's a bush mechanic stuff that you've had to sort of put right. Is there a little funny yarn that we can finish with that you might be able to share? Uh, well, <laughs> I think it's going to be expensive. Yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> Some of the stuff that we did, uh, and I say that uh, looking at my uncle, um, he was a guru in modifying trucks. And, and uh, so he's retired. Um, there's new people taking on that sort of role now. But my, some of my greatest uh, success, I guess, um, has been some of the military uh, stuff that we've done. And little things like your G-Wagon, uh, we we actually, uh, the two and a half thousand, the Australian Defence Force, replacing the Land Rovers, and we just did the safety chain attachments on the back of it. And what a monster project, just two little castings <laughs> on the back. And um, we, we actually um, went right through that, exported them to uh, Magna Steyr, Steyr, in, in uh, Austria and uh, got to know a lot about that side of uh, industry, which is something that I'm pretty proud of. Uh, we did the Unimogs as well. So we we get into sort of areas that other people don't don't particularly uh, you know, get interested in. Have you ever walked out into the workshop, Alan, and there's, and there's somebody out there crackling away on the welder all day, they're there for hours and you stand back and you go, no, no, no. Up the other way. No, that way up. It's interesting. I, I, if I walk out and try to tell them how to do something now, <laughs> I mean, 
you can get out of date pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but uh, plus, you get a spanner to the forehead. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just uh, like once again, uh, all the machines are changing. New yeah. things come in, yep. um, and uh, like I look at the robot working, and I just shake my head and think, mm. "Isn't that brilliant? Um, yeah. Fantastic stuff!" So I don't even know how it works. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah. done. Yeah. Well done. Thank you very much for, for joining us today from that amazing wonderland in Clayton and, and the growth that the business has gone through to what it is today, which is a, a world-class uh, industry-leading facility. For more info, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, I think the website is integratedtowingsolutions.com. Um, Alan, thank you so much for talking to us today. And if a bearded bloke with an uncanny resemb- resemblance to our Shane pulls up in the drive there at Hallam, just know it's very likely likely to be the real deal, mate, not some sort of doppelganger, okay? Just on your way out, Alan, just make sure you don't rip the badge off my car, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get to blowing out your tailpipe, one of the most requested parts of the show, we have a lot of fun with that to end the program, a big thanks to all of you who listen. We set out on this little road trip about 12 months ago with the aim of shining a light on the Aussie auto industry, which has been through some pretty significant change, but we're super passionate about it. And so is our partner in this, in the Victorian Automotive Chamber of Commerce. And in that time, we've had a huge amount of fun being able to talk to some seriously cool guests. And most importantly, we want to help our constituents, right, within the VACC and the the Tasmanian Automotive Chamber of Commerce for that matter. Thank you so much for all the likes, the shares, the feedback. We read every one of them. Tell your mates about the pod because um, if they have a shared love of cars, a thirst for knowing what's happening in the industry like uh, like we do. We'd love to bring them along for the ride as we kind of shift up a gear for our second season. You can be part of the program too, simply by emailing us, info at thegrillpodcast.com.au. And you can send a little bit of audio too, a short voice memo, which you can do on your phone, really easy, 20 to 30 seconds worth, record it. We'd love to hear your dulcet tones on the show. Email them in um, and we'll try and tackle some of them. When we dive into the glove box, which we are doing again this month, Here is a little one from John in Mansfield, who I think has directed this one at me. What's your top three motoring movies? And now I'm going to struggle to to narrow this down because I'm a fiend for even the crook ones I love. um, uh, The late Burt Reynolds is gone now. I'd love Smokey and the Bandit and that amazing Trans Am. (laughs) I've got a huge soft spot for... Le Mans, which Steve McQueen did in the in the early 1970s. I think it nearly broke him. He spent so much money on it. Um, groundbreaking on boards. He was heavily involved in the in the production side of it. And there were some very cool cars um, at, at Le Mans that they filmed that year. So that's quite cool. Limited dialogue, but, but still a cool movie. Great car chase in the movie Ronan with Robert yeah. De Niro, which was made in the in the late 90s. And for pure fun, um, John, I love Talladega Nights. That's probably more racing than than motoring movie. But the reason that I do is that I had um, the great uh, chance to sit down with John C. Riley and Will Ferrell when they when the movie came to Did Australia. You? And yeah, and it was one of the funniest days of my life, Shane. And you know what those those moments are like, mate, because you've been on the the other side of this, right? There was a, a hotel in Sydney. They pre-booked a whole heap of rooms. You know, myself, the Today Show, uh, uh, Sunrise, whatever. We're all in different rooms waiting for the boys to come in. You get your 10-minute window and, and off you go. Hang on. I've, I've, I must admit, while you started talking about that, Rusty, I was indicating to Ed, our producer, whether he could find it online. 
Have you have you found it? Have you found that interview? He has. Cool. Let's let's take a little sneak peek. Let's have a listen to it. Here we go. What advice yeah. would you give myself and my my V eight commentary buddies if you had any? Uh, well, I I would say don't worry about being on time so much. That doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> don't be a af- don't be afraid to drink during the broadcast because that that loosens you up, keeps you limber. That's about it. Those are two two points I learned in college. Yeah. Well, John, thank you very much. Oh, that's awesome. Beautiful. How awesome was that? Beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, now I'm jealous. Rusty, you got to do that, and I didn't. Mate, it was awesome. It was one of the best days of my life. Yeah, well, it's really annoying because, firstly, uh, I now find out on this one podcast that uh, you've got to interview them, and also you got a bit braggy with you in a B-double just because <laughs> I've got heavy combination. Sorry. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Here's one for Jeff uh, from Doug, who says, Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for an entertaining podcast. Thank you, Doug, for listening. Um, it helps Doug get through a 12-hour shift on the road. So another truckie. Great to have you with us or someone yeah, working yeah. in the transport game. Uh, his question is, are the prototype cars on the road, the ones that we see plastered with all that kind of urban camo, um, so that you don't know what they are? Is it meant to sort of keep them a bit of a secret? Or are they just kind of held together by by tape or is it all sort of attached properly? Um, I was up close and personal with one and the panel gap looked worse, uh, worse rather than uh, than, a, than a Land Rover, he says. Uh, I think it is more about, Jeff, you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, about keeping the prying eyes of the yeah. media away as much as possible, isn't it? Yeah, it's about, uh, normally about body design and shape and that camouflage is designed to hide the contours of the vehicle. Um more than that, though, if you go into a, a production environment, you might have 15 stamping machines on, up through a plant. They can't stamp out one car and then drive it around for a while to see how good it is. And then, you know, so what they, often what they do is they'll – these cars, the panels may actually even be cut and shut panels from another vehicle and they put on that vehicle. They might be testing the chassis or the brakes or different parts of that vehicle – but the body, even though the general shape is the shape of the new body, the grill's probably put into the front of it, it's actually not a, a full production vehicle because you're either in full production or you're not, and uh, these are pre-production vehicles. And as I say, it depends what purpose they're on the roads for, normally for testing different systems of the vehicle. But I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't look at a pre-production vehicle and say, look, the door gaps are too big. And then uh, you know, sort of make a judgment on that. They're out there for a for a very specific special, special That's why reason. That's why Jaguar, that <clears throat> XJ22 Jaguar supercar thing, when they were trying to test the drive line of the motor, they um, put that inside a Ford Transit van there and drove go. that around England. No one knew that was. We did a thing on Top Gear where <clears throat> I had to try and drag the Ford Transit van. <laughs> I was in a Malou and it swamped me. But um, yeah, that's what they did. They they yeah. hid all that drive line yep. under a Ford Transit van. Yeah. Which made more sense because everyone saw a transit van going yeah. fast and thought nothing of it. At 180 kilometres. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just before we move on here, Doug, to your point, if you ever get the chance to go to the Nürburgring in Germany, um, when there's no kind of racing happening there, most days of the week, if you wander into the car park there, you'll find a manufacturer with these style of cars doing some testing. It's really, really cool. And anyone could kind of roll up and buy a ticket and, and go and drive the track. Here is one... Uh, from Alison for Shane. Now, uh, Alison, I think you've been in touch with me via socials before, and I want to say this is Rod Hatfield's daughter, if I've joined the dots correctly here. Legendary hot rodder, right? Legendary. Um, She says, hello, my ears uh, pricked up in your last episode as you were chatting about celebrities who are big car fans. Now, she's pointed out the singer, Neil Young, is a massive car nut 
who wrote a great book called Special Deluxe, including his project, which was uh, to convert his 59 Lincoln Continental to electric, really? which we've kind of covered on the show. How about that? Neil Young, oh, well. said, I, I had no idea. Neil Young never heard his name mentioned no. in kind of car nut conversations, if you will. Here you go. I'm going to start listening to more of his music now. He's impressed me. <laughs> <laughs> About to blow the horn on this episode. Before we do, we should get Rod Hadfield on the show at some stage. Anyway, that's a, that's a rocket Rod. Yeah, he, he's only he's only a few towns away from me. He's up in Castlemaine. I'm sure he's up there. Um, he, he'd be great to get on. Sure would. We should, we should put that out into the ether. Let's add it to the list. You can make a suggestion too if you'd like of uh, a special guest you might like to get us on uh, for us to get on. Rather, about to blow the horn on this episode. Before we do, it is time for this. Blow it out to tail I think it is literally blow it out your tailpipe or blow it out your zoomies. That was what, you know, the short pipes that come out either side of a motor there, the zoomies, aren't they? Zoomie exhausts? If you say they are. Well, they, they, are. they were called zoomies back in the day. <laughs> mate of mine's dad, God love him, uh, he's no longer with us. Uh, Des Lawton used to build, um, he had a race boat, he had a big hydro and, and they had short exhausts that just came straight off the side of the block. Yeah. <clears throat> they were about a foot long and they were called zoomies and it just spat unburnt fuel and flames at your face the whole time. <laughs> And, and, and I'm going to use that as a bit of a segue. So Des Lawton, um, God bless his resting soul, uh, I did fireworks uh, under him. He was my best mate, Steve Lawton, growing up. It's his father. He tuned race boats by ear and uh, and he did fireworks. <laughs> Just everything went <laughs> boom, bang, woof. And he had industrial deafness. Now this conversation I'm going to have about Blood Out Your is a conversation that was had uh, with, with some, some people that I was having a drink with a couple of weeks ago about um, drag cars, about how loud they are. <clears throat> and it was about about that noise that gets blown out the tailpipe, right? And they're going, how loud are they? Because this was the conversation. <laughs> so I had to explain this story. I did fireworks out at Calder Park during the drag, when the drags were on back in the day, I used to do fireworks. At the end, get to the night. And we got invited, um, and Des got invited first. Because when someone said, how loud are those drag cars? I went, oh, look, have I got a story for you? I've got first-hand experience. Des got invited to go and stand at the Christmas lights between two top fuelers when they took off. Yep. And Des had industrial deafness and tuned race boats and did fireworks for a living. He came back and looked like he'd seen a ghost or he'd been beaten up by Tyson. And then he said, right, it's your turn. And I said, what's your advice? And someone said, hang on to your ears. He said, forget your ears, hang on to your privates. That'll send you sterile. He said, that is just the most unbelievable thing I've ever experienced. So I did. I stood in between them and everything, so sound mm. stopped. It got, it's so loud. Um, <laughs> and I've actually looked up what it is in DB uh, and, and as a noise level. It was so loud. You stopped hearing and it, the force, so standing between them, I can't explain it, but I can tell you, I did fireworks for a job and I worked in lighting and rock and roll and stood in front of incredibly big PAs for the Rolling Stones and you name it, Guns and Roses, ACDC, it did all that. I've also stood on the top, believe it or not, of an exploding volcano on the island of Tampa, and none of them hold a candle to what it's like <laughs> to be the top field. So it is the loudest sport on the planet, um, and there's been a bit of a debate that's been had between what is louder, oh, yeah. a top field dragster or uh, a fighter jet. And the truth is, well, it depends on who measures it on the day, but a top fuel drag is 150 dB. So the human threshold of pain is 132 <laughs> dB. Uh, apparently anything below 50 hertz at 132 dB at a concert can make a human lose bowel control. That's been disproven in one test done by those, those <laughs> Mythbusters, but I still reckon it's probably true. So, yeah, and a fighter jet's around about 155. Wow. And that, but that's at close. That, that's, the thing at, that's the thing revved with you within 30 feet of the back yeah, of a fighter yeah. jet, and not too many people are doing that. So... 
Yeah, so for blow it out your tailpipe, uh, the noise that comes out of them, yeah, it is the loudest <laughs> sport in the world. If you ever get a chance to get anywhere near them, even just once. we When we did the film Kenny, we filmed out at Calder. We did this a scene where we raised trucks, but we also was supposed to be happening at a drag meet. And a dear friend of ours who's also passed on, um, Craig Carter, the wonderful Craig Carter, who's an award-winning sound recordist. I think he's even been a part of a film that won an Academy Award. He came to record the sound. He wanted the real sound of it. And I said, I don't know if you're going to get it, mate. He said, no, 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 it's fine. (laughs) And I said, I can't tell you how loud these things are. It literally, and, and, and they're so loud, in fact, if you look it up online, it actually says at 150 dB it can cause permanent damage to a human depending on the effect of it, right? Right. And he said, no, no, we're going to record this. And I said, mate, I just cannot stress enough. <laughs> if you're going to point something that records audio anywhere near these things, you just need to know the air pressure is undeniably earth-shattering. <laughs> so he put these things, these these pads that actually, 20 dB pads that actually sort of like filters that, that try and minimise it. And he put two or three in line and he put these surround sound mics, 5.1 surround sound, and the drag cars took off. And then when they were gone, he went back to his device and listened to it and the drag cars shut his system down. <laughs> it recorded nothing. nothing. And he was a Academy Award winning sound wow. recordist and he said that is Phenomenal. almost unrecordable. So uh yeah, it may not be as much fun as you wanted, but uh, I'm very proud to tell you that uh, we win the loudest uh, sporting thing to happen on planet Earth is drag racing. Quite literally blowing oh, it out the tailpipe. Tailpot. That is, well, I've done it. The, the zoomies. zoomies. And that is an unbelievable experience, which um, I will never forget. I've done it in, in Sydney. We're trying to get we're trying to get the legendary designer Chip Foose on the show. I think you guys have asked for that too, you men and women who listen to the, the pod. He's tied up with Seema at the moment, but we are having a bit of conversation, no guarantees. So fingers crossed that can happen in the coming episodes. If, as I said before, there's a special guest you would like us to get on the show, hit us up via the show page on the listener site or go to vacc.com. On behalf of our producer, Ed, David Dowsey, and all the VACC team, we'll catch you next time. See you on the road, folks.